Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to... What number was it? I don't know. I never know the number. Is it like 26? Uh, oh, are we at an alphabet now? 25. Okay, red Z. No, there are 26 letters in the alphabet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm on Benadryl. <laughs> so, she's on Benadryl, and we're doing this mere hours before the entire state goes into uh, an additional level of lockdown due to the virus. It's uh, fun. Sure. So we're going a little loopy. So, here to talk about a book. This book is out as of today, the day that this releases. It is called The Perfect Escape by Suzanne Park. Every time I looked at this book and picked it up, I got The Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani. Stuck in my, head. <laughs> Every time. my brain was like, the perfect escape. Woo! Woo! Yeah. I, fun, fun fact for everyone who doesn't care. When uh, The Sweet Escape was big, I was in college, and every time I went to the dining hall, at some point that song played because they had like the radio going. And yeah, I heard this song like 8 million times. Never knew it was called The Sweet Escape. I was just like, oh, it's the woo woo song. <laughs> I hate the woo woo song. <laughs> Have you been to the Jack in the Box by school? Uh, a couple of times before school messed up my order. No, it messed up my order <laughs> by not giving it to me or making it at all. So huh. I stopped going there. Okay. But anyway, what, what did they uh, do there? So their playlist is about 17 minutes long and they can't play any full songs. So it's the same five or six half songs. So you get like the first half oh, no. of... So you're sitting there and you hear Chickadee China, the Chinese chicken, <laughs> you're like this... This again? You get the first half of Band on the Run, the first half of whatever the Tarzan Phil Collins song is. Come stop you crying, it'll be... Yeah, yeah and a few of those. Yeah. yeah, but you never get to hear the full song of any of them. That's kind of annoying. Yeah, and also, that's probably some sort of, like, illegal torture system that they're putting the employees through. <laughs> they won't stay as long and linger for too long if we play this stuff. Ooh, <laughs> let's put linger on there. Do you have to? <laughs> Do you have to? <laughs> I love the cranberries. That's not a knock on the cranberries. I love the cranberries. When Dolores O'Riordan died, I cried. Yeah, it was real so. sad. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, perfect escape. So, this is her first novel. I believe she has another There's one like for an adults. There's an adult one. Yeah, and I, I saw a kind of eh review for that one on um, the in the comment section of Smart Bitches Trashy Books. Because it is like an adult uh, romance novel that also has, I think it also has like cartoony cover. Because we got, the big thing in the romance industry right now are these cartoony covers. But um, I feel like these two characters don't look overly cartoony. I actually think they look pretty good. Um, I think the cover is misleading because it seems like they're in a jungle. But yeah. This is, this is the Pacific Northwest. And yeah. I don't remember Brush quite looking like this uh, around here. Well, it, you, it actually says the thing on the flyer that she's holding. I thought it was just, like, a green oh. square, but it actually is the flyer. It says, zombie getting huge cash prize, $50,000. Oh, that word's huge. I was like, okay, I know cash prize. Yeah. I'm like, nude? <laughs> yeah. I'm too, I'm too old and my eyes aren't good. The cash it. is naked. <laughs> It'd be weird to get money and you're like, why is it wearing a dress? <laughs> because it doesn't follow your gender standards, Karen. <laughs> like, okay. I think you can already tell where we're at with this book if we're already this tangented. Uh, Suzanne Park was a stand-up comedian uh, who has participated in some competitions, including uh, BET's Coming to the Stage, 
So she is transitioning from that to a writing career, and this is her first of two novels being published this year. And where are we at for it formally? Um, I'm going to quote Randy Jackson from American Idol. It was just all right for me. <laughs> a little bit bitchy. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing where I was just like, oh, this is amazing. But there was nothing where I was like, why am I reading this? I hate this. It's just a solid middle of the road book. Yeah. Which, you know what? That's not necessarily bad. I mean, sometimes if you're like on a road trip or something or, and this is what you pick up, fine. You'll be fine. This is definitely the sort of book where if I was like, this is just the book that was lying around, Yeah, I would rather read that than not read for sure. Like, right. I wouldn't be like, oh, this is, this is really all I have. It's like, oh, this is fine. But in a sea of options, yeah, uh, especially There's... each of us having a few hundred books in our respective homes to read, it's like, it's there. Yeah, but that's all I got. <laughs> okay. It was just okay for me. Yeah. Oh, just so you know, I used up the last of the notebook and I had to overlap into my next notebook, which oh, is not Lisa Frank. Oh, shoot. I'm going to have to get you some Lisa Frank. Dude, I looked into it. They're going for like $80 on uh, Amazon. Not worth it. Well, that's because they're out of toilet paper, so people are like, what's next? This was way before the toilet paper situation. <laughs> okay. Are we ready to get into this? Can you do the uh, pre-chapter one quote as well? Okay, the pre-chapter one quote is... Money Trees is the perfect place for shade, and that's just how I feel, Nana. Kendrick Lamar, karaoke by Nate King in the shower. <laughs> that's probably the whitest I've ever been. Shout out to Kendrick Lamar, though. Absolute poet. All right. Perfect Escape, Chapter 1. We meet one of our protagonists, Nate Park, on a typical night at work. It's no biggie, just a zombie-themed escape room. His job is to host the event and maybe give hints or clues for puzzles, but tonight's group is full of a boozed-up bachelorette party, salesman douchebags getting horned up over the bachelorettes, and three Russian exchange students, the only ones who even attempt to solve the puzzles. Needless to say, they're all dead in 31 minutes. And good riddance to them solving a whopping two puzzles out of ten. Then a distressed voice from the closet asks if it's okay to come out, and Nate's like, um, yeah? And a mutilated zombie girl comes tumbling out of the closet, as they are wont to do. Chapter 2. <laughs> Zombie girl turns out to be Kate, and apparently Nate thinks she's super cute, even though he can barely tell what she looks like through the heavy special effects makeup. Okay, Nate. They talk for two seconds, and Kate asks this complete stranger to give her a ride home. No. No. Don't ever, ever do this. Luckily, this isn't this kind of book, and all that happens is Kate wants to stop by Dick's drive-in and split a burger. For those of you that don't know, Dick's is a vintage drive-in with 60s-sized food, so they'd be splitting a very tiny burger where they'd each get three mouthfuls tops. Anyway, what's important is Nate hates the food at Dick's, but lies and says it's great. Nate, no, you're losing me. <laughs> don't lie to make the person like you. It'll come back and bite you. Luckily, at the drive-in, he says he's still full from stress eating earlier in the day, so he avoids grossness. Kate also annoys me by just grabbing the GPS and programming her address in. Am I old? Is this the proper etiquette to just grab at people's shit? She also overshares about her eczema and rubs herself all over with lotion and takes off her itchy zombie wig. She reveals that she goes to a really artsy high school and doesn't ask Nate about where he goes. This should be shitty and self-centered, but Nate's relieved that he doesn't have to tell her that he goes to a fancy schmancy school on scholarship and that he's an egghead who skipped a grade. So, Kate lives out in the middle of nowhere and she accidentally leaves her manky old wig in Nate's car. He never got her number, so he can't call her and tell her he has it, so he weirdly hides it behind his headboard so his mom won't find it. Okay, Nate. Yeah, I got some things to say there. <laughs> <clears throat> Go for it. First of all, 
This book is apparently very, very funny. I didn't think it was that funny. There were definitely a couple of parts. a couple moments, but... What, honestly, one of the best moments is right at the start, um, <laughs> when he's going through his uh, zombie escape room little spiel. He asks, uh, Okay, show of hands, how many of you have recently been bitten or eaten by a zombie? And then he says, when no one raises their hands, That's good, because that would mean we're trapped in the room with more undead than our zoning permit allows. And nobody laughs in the book, but I thought that was... I thought that was cute. You would have been at the back of the group going, ha. Yeah. <laughs> I would have given him support for that. I'd have gotten up, given him a pity laugh. <laughs> You're absolutely right that she overshares on the eczema. And there, there's a lot of stuff that is like, I think one of the biggest things that uh, Suzanne Park needs to work on for subsequent books is how to provide character information in an organic way. Because, hey, by the way, all of my skin itches all the time. Let me just... The flake like at you she could have of... like put lotion on and like she's kind of subtly doing it and then he's, he's like what are you what's that yeah and then she goes oh um okay so funny story I have eczema right or but she just she just <clears throat> randomly throws out these facts about herself and then that's supposed to be like how we find out about the character yeah like when she meets Nate she says nice to meet you this closet is way too small for someone my height and I'm only five foot three and a half that's like average height nobody and nobody <laughs> does that nobody is like. <laughs> Hi, I'm Josh. I'm 5'11. You're 6'1. Okay. I'm 26. <laughs> That's what I was going for. You're 6'1. She makes reference a couple of times to uh, stuff about the Xbox and actually gets it right, which is awesome because so many people that write like and talk about video game things are just like, and then the Nintendo Cube. Yeah. Four. It's like, no, like. She knows enough that you need a subscription for Xbox Live and which games are actually playable on the console. So that was nice. <laughs> oh, they were talking about making the zombie escape room seasonal. And they're like, think about all the holidays after Christmas, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Easter, who doesn't love an Easter zombie? And I'm like, you mean Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> Great. Zombie Jesus. I think that was on Futurama. <laughs> they go to Dick's and uh, it says she'd offered to pay. And then he starts, like, freaking out about, like, what are we going to do? And I'm just like, she offered to pay. That could be the end of the conversation. I don't know why you need to have this whole thing. <laughs> um, she also hates Chips Ahoy, so she's wrong. I thought that was weird, too. They're both like, it's super grass. I know, right? And I was like, all of you need to die. <laughs> like, why are you bad-mouthing Chips Ahoy? Especially the chewy kind. At one point, she offers World War Z to be her favorite zombie movie, which is wrong because nobody likes that movie. Oh, I like that movie. I like Chips Ahoy. It's not my favorite zombie movie. Yeah. But I like... What's my favorite zombie movie? Either Zombieland or Shaun of the Dead, because I like horror comedy. So you think you should have pulled the car over and went, get out. <laughs> you can walk home. Maybe Brad Pitt will pick I, you up. I guess I should clarify. It's not that nobody likes that movie. It's one of those movies where it would be much better uh, received if it wasn't called what it was called, because it has nothing to do with the book it's based on. Um, uh, loosely. I mean, you know, it... I would expect going to a World War Z, I would expect to see for it to be a, more of an anth anthology just because of how it's... Oh, because the nature the, of the book. Right, exactly. If you haven't read World War Z, it's not even really a... I guess it's kind of a story, but it's most just uh, anecdotes and reminiscences of people who survived the big uh, zombie uh, pandemic. Yeah, it's treating it a lot less like just a crazy end of the world sci-fi scenario and more as like literally a world war. It's it's 
it's the same sort of interviews that you'd get talking with veterans from an actual real world war. Yeah. But it just has a different sort of... Uh, and it's really smart and really good. Yeah. Like, oh my god, there was stuff particularly about the pharmaceutical industry in that book where I was like... This is too real. And then I was like angry the whole rest of yeah. my lunch break having read that part. Yeah. Because I was like, this is exactly how this would pay, it's, play it's out. It's very intelligent. Also, I've read two other things by him and neither of them are particularly good. One was a Minecraft novel and the other was a G.I. Joe graphic novel. So he needs to like get back to doing his own thing. Also, I didn't realize he was Mel Brooks's kid. Yeah, Mel Brooks's kid. Oh, did you see that video he did about, um, yeah, he did a small video and he's like outside in the yard and his dad's in the house, like at the window. Uh-huh. And he's all like, this is my dad, Mel Brooks. Uh, he, he goes like, I'm 48 years old. He's 80, whatever it was. Yeah. We can, I can't see him right now because uh, it, I could get the virus and shake it off. But him, he'd be, you know, it'd yeah. probably be a death sentence. And, and Mel Brooks is just standing there just smiling lovingly at his son. It, was, it felt very nice. And then, like, he knocks on the window and goes, go home. <laughs> uh what was the last thing I had to say for this section? Oh, yeah. He hides the wig behind his mattress for... The, between the mattress and headboard for safekeeping. Kate's fresh lemony scent just it inches from my face. And I'm like, all right, Creeper, you can calm down a little bit. I love her eczema cream. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's, mm, I like me Dad so eczema much. dough. <laughs> Girl, um, you flake it hard. Are you ready to see Kate's point of view? Tell me about Kate. All right. The chapter's from Kate's perspective, and we find out that she lives in Disney's Smart House, and she's a... Sorry, Josh, just, just starting to take a drink and watch his cheeks bulge. Her friggin' World of Tomorrow home. Yeah, uh, okay, she lives in Disney's Smart House, and she's a poor little rich girl with an absentee father who's also an absent-minded inventor. Turns out it's Kate's birthday, and her dad and best friends have left her messages wishing her a happy B-Day, and her dad has an ice cream cake with his favorite flavors delivered along with three books that Kate mistakenly thinks are for her, but really, they're crummy parenting books about raising disappointing children. Jesus. <laughs> I don't think he was that disappointing. <laughs> what? You said raising disappointing children. Jesus. I think Jesus isn't good enough, no one's going to look at He had a business. He was a carpenter. Yeah. He made something of himself. Are you ready to just move on? Yeah, sure. Give me a couple okay. more. That's all. Well, that was the whole Kate thing. Then we're back to Nate. That's okay. Just go until it swaps around okay, sure. again. All right. Well, Nate has an eventful day. He gives his jackhole friend, Zach and Jackson, with the jackhole spelling of O-X-O-N, a ride to school, and they're both horrified by the nasty wig he has to deliver to Kate. It's been modified by Nate's little sister, Lucy, so that reaction is going to be interesting. Anyway... Nate's car gets tailgated by an aggro douchebag, and Jackson's solution is to hang out the window and huck quarters at the other car. Luckily, Nate's able to get them away from being a story on the news, and they end up at school in one piece. I kept waiting for that to come back as something, and it didn't. Yeah. Oh, you think the eventfulness stops there? Nope! A bro-y classmate, Pete Haskell IV, takes time out of his casual bro-y racism. He's one step away from calling Nate Long Duck Dong to offer Nate 30k to drop his GPA a few points so the dumber bros can get on the honor roll. Or you can, like, invest that in a tutor, or who fucking cares because your parents can buy your way in. Ask Aunt Becky for details. Um, <laughs> but Nate thinks it's a, uh, thinks about it because, come on, it's 30k. Okay, but can rich kids feasibly get that amount of money from their parents, no questions asked? It's weird. At home, Lucy's struggling with a family tree assignment, which is actually really difficult for children of immigrants to complete, since all the families in the old country and can't answer any questions, 
Also, WTF, homework in kindergarten? No wonder Gen Z are staging protests. Homework since kindergarten, and they're expected to cheerfully be the targets of whatever shooters feel like disaffected and shitty this week? Enough's enough! Anyway, the parents provide the names of grandparents, but his dad refers to the paternal grandparents in the present tense, and Lucy points that out, wondering if they're alive. The dad hurries out of the room, and the mom says he meant past tense and follows after. Nate's willing to chalk it all up to a grammar mistake, but hears his parents arguing in the other room. What's really up? I really did like that detail about the uh, family tree being difficult to complete yeah. for immigrants. I never I thought, thought of that. No, that's I. That is uh, that's one of the highlights of this book. Uh, it taught me that. I thought that that was really really interesting. Yes, really good. that's why a lot of these books need to be own voice because then they know it's not some white person just being like writing a person just like I bet they just wish they're white all the time. You know, cause that's why so many. Yeah, I'm gonna call it out. There's so many like white authors that when they do 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 do. They do diverse characters. They're usually half white. So it's like, okay, so I'm not completely perfect and on with the experience. I can just chalk it up to, well, they're only half, well, they're half white. So they'd have like a different experience. Uh, sweating, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm fully behind uh, own voices just for moments like that. Yeah. So that a white person wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when we in introduced, like, her little world with her house and her robot and stuff, I was really, like, so, like, what level of sci-fi believability should we be at here? Like, should I just expect, like... But she she asked the, the robot to bring her napkins, and it brings the napkins, but the robot didn't realize that the package was already opened, so it comes over and, and just napkins are dropping behind it. I felt that was about where we're at with robots yeah. at this time. So I was like, okay. I was thinking this is unrealistic, but if the robot's that big of a dumbass. Because, <laughs> of course, it is. This answer the empty plastic package. She's like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> it's like any time I... Like, I laughed at that. I thought that was funny. Uh, Simone Geertz, or whatever her name is on YouTube. The, the woman who makes the, like, intentionally ridiculous robots. I'm not familiar with yeah. this channel. She makes stuff like, like, the machine that, like, brushes your teeth for you. It's just an arm that comes down and then just goes all across your, like, nose and chin. <laughs> There's a Family Guy joke that's like that, where uh, they're kind of, they're spoofing, like, Peter sits down to breakfast, and it's like that breakfast-making machine that's all elaborate and goofy from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Have you ever I seen love that? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it does that. And then at the end, there's a gun. He goes, bang! And shoots him in the army. He goes, goes, ah! What was the point of that? <laughs> it just shoots you? <laughs> it's just funny sometimes. I love um, Rube Goldberg machines. One of the books is Rich Dad, Richer Dad. And I wrote, uh, I wrote Poor Dad, Rich Kiyosaki, because that's all those books are good for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole the whole thing with the, I'm going to pay you to like drop your grades and stuff. Like The whole time I was like, aren't you just going to buy your way into college anyway so it doesn't matter? Because yeah. you can you can literally just hand them a check and walk into any Ivy League school you want. Why, why is this the plan? Yeah. That was a weird plan. It is a very weird plan. What's the next chapter for you? It's five. Okay. All right. Kate and Nate meet up at work, and Nate actually comes off as kind of cool. Kate's all stoked to see him. Apparently she's been counting the days, but I really didn't get that impression that she was all that into him during her last perspective chapter, so I'm kind of confused. Plus, they suddenly have chemistry, and I feel like I've been picked up a different book by accident. <laughs> they really didn't yeah. really have that. It's very true. 
Um, anyway, Nate returns the wig, and Kate kind of likes how shredded it looks now, but the glittery pink glue clashes with her camo ensemble, so she passes on wearing it that moment. Nate actually very smoothly asks for her number, and Kate momentarily panics. Her father records all her phone calls, yikes, so she doesn't use it. Instead of explaining this nutso thing, she says she's between phones and asks for his number, and this 16-year-old kid whips out a freaking card. I've had supposed entrepreneurs and life coaches chat me up who've been flummoxed by me asking for a card, so go Nate. It's time to get to work, so Kate goes off to her closet, where she ponders her father's lack of support in regards to her desire to write and act, and begins to cry. I like to punch your dad right in the dick. <laughs> Chapter 6 Nate's pretty sure that Kate blew him off about the phone thing, so he's pleasantly surprised when a day later he gets a text from her asking if they can video chat. There are no real cool backdrops in his house, except the Star Wars poster, which we'll do in a pinch. They awkwardly chit-chat until Lucy has a meltdown in the living room over her Paw Patrol episode digitally freezing. She will not watch anything else, and ice cream isn't an option, but she finally calms down when Nate settles her in the hall outside his door with a Noah's Ark set complete with animals. Anyway, back to Kate. She finally gets to the point. There's a competition we're just now hearing about with big cash prizes. It's a zombie survivalist competition with a $100 entry fee. Ouch. But the rewards sound great, so Nate's in. Good thing he made a decision because here comes Lucy, distraught over the scenario she's dreamed up of Noah's Ark hitting an iceberg. He agrees to sign them up himself when Kate looks spooked at the prospect of doing it herself. He also invites her to hang out after school. You know, to discuss zombie strategy. Smooth. Well, until he has to fish Noah's animals out of the toilet because children in fiction are obsessed with breaking plumbing. Side note, there's a lot of F-bombs in this chapter. Were there any prior to this? It felt excessive, and that's coming from me. It was definitely one of those books where I was like, are they going to drop the F-bomb or not? Because a lot of them is like, we'll keep it PG-13 with the language and stuff, and then this or they happened. Just say, or they just say, Nate swore. <clears throat> yeah, and then this one is just like, right out the window, just like four or five of them. Just like, <laughs> It's really inconsistent, because then we go stretch without any, and yeah. then there's like a whole bunch of them all at once, and it's just like, just kind of pepper them through. Yeah. If you're yeah. going to use it, use it. Yeah. But like all in just what, it just felt weird. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when it's not like a high stakes chapter. Yeah. You know, it's like, I can understand like dropping a few, like only at the most like frustrating climactic part of it. That oh, would right. make like sense. The zombies or... swamping you. That's when you throw exactly. that, that out there. Yeah. But it did, it did seem kind of like, like she was like, I'm, that's where we're going to go now. Yeah. Like she hadn't decided yet. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, the whole, the whole Google video chat conversation is a flashback that's not a flashback like he's like my mind drifted to the conversation we had earlier and then it just like the next paragraph just proceeds into it being that whole scene but the transition for it made it seem like it was gonna be a and then i recalled a detail of it and then it was just like four pages of the whole conversation verbatim and that felt kind of like inorganic to me it was just another little thing where i was just like I see what you're going for here. This could use a little bit of tightening up. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a lot of that here. Yeah. I note it later myself. Also, I don't remember if I feel the same way later, but at this point, I feel like the characters are awkward, but it's like a perfect awkward. It's like the, how would I write the best way to be awkward sort of a thing? And so like, it didn't actually read as awkward. It just read as, this is how I would act awkward if I needed to portray myself as awkward. And so because of that, it it still ended up feeling a little bit too glossy for a lot of that for me. I wrote hashtag dead mom club because it's yeah, part of the dead yeah, mom club. Dead mom club. But it's the rare exception where she is not mom junior. She is not mom junior. 
She she's is neglected. Mom sitting at home drinking. <laughs> she is <the> Rapunzel. Wine. <laughs> yes, she's Rapunzel. Exactly. Dad sucks, but I also yeah. wish her dad was a little bit three D in his suckage. Yeah, it I was felt just like, like two dimensional cartoon villain. Yeah, bad. Yeah, I think at least twice in this book they make reference to like wiping sweat off like a windshield wiper or something like she thought of that and was like that's really good i need to use it and then she used it twice and then it's really awkward when you do that chapter seven works canceled on friday due to a plumbing issue and kate and nate hang out at nate's house where they're supposed to talk zombie strategy but kate just snoops through his room and asks about his trophies so we can learn that he's in martial arts archery and cross country he says he wants to look interesting to colleges and kate makes him promise to have fun from time to time too That's what manic pixie dream girls do. Nate's mom brings in snacks, and when she sees his guest as a girl, makes a big show of cleaning and makes sure to embarrass him. Most accurate portrayal of a mom ever. Once mom skedaddles, Kate snoops in Nate's closet. Why would you ever go through another person's closet? Why do you have to touch everything? (laughs) (laughs) And and gets her comeuppance when she's face-to-face with a huge cardboard cutout of Robbie Anderson Steele, CEO of Digital Tools. She has a mini heart attack, and Nate tries to downplay the weirdness of having such a thing. He has no idea that R.A.S. is Kat, as Kate's dad. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure he'd crawl under a rock and die. <laughs> anyway, they remember they have a zombie competition to prepare for and decide to go to the camping store. Chapter 8. We're in the car with Kate and Nate, and it takes me way too long to realize that they've already been to the camping store, and now Nate's taking her home. <laughs> I was a little too annoyed by this. There's, like, it doesn't tell you anything, like, at the top, you know, or, like, make any reference to in the store. Like, they could have had banter in the store setting. That's actually, um, we'll go ahead and finish this, but that's actually something I do want to touch at at some point. Kate asks Nate to stash the supplies at his house, and he agrees, though he wonders why Kate picked him for this. Turns out Kate needs a smart, athletic person obsessed with zombies, who she doesn't know very well, so she can ditch them after the competition and run away to New York with the prize money. Jesus, Kate. Instead of telling him all this, she just says that he felt like the right man for the job, and his pride lets him accept this answer. (laughs) After she's dropped off, she does the face and fingerprint scanner at the gate to be let in, and is met by the robot Jeeves. It's time for her bio scan. Jeeves picks up her rapid heartbeat and increased perspiration and suggests she needs to go to a hospital. Or maybe she was running Jeeves, or having an unremarkable interaction with a teenage boy who we're supposed to buy as a romantic hero. Anyway, Jeeves reveals that her dad's home after being away for two weeks. He's snoozing in his room. Kate leaves him to it. Her only interaction with him up to this point have been a series of emails chastising her for going over her budget, by mere sense, and wanting to know what a few long phone calls were about. Yeah, this feels gross and stalkery. Kate's friend Raina calls and invites her to a party, coded movie premiere, for the No Boundaries dad. Kate doesn't really want to and is badgered into it. Cool, everyone in her life sucks. No wonder she's clinging to this lukewarm romance with Nate. She tells Jeeves to tell her dad where she's going, and Jeeves sends a canned message back from Daddy Dearest saying, Okay, so he's awake now and can't be bothered to speak to her? Girl, do what you gotta do to get out of this house. Even after reading the entire book, I don't think of them as having any sort of real romantic elements. No, they're more friends. Yeah, and I kind of wish they'd... Why can't we go that route? Just sometimes, at least? Yeah. Because, honestly, I basically wanted this book to end up being, like, Pumpkinheads, except instead of working there, they were working in a zombie escape room. That would have been an amazing book. (laughs) I wanted more with a zombie escape room. Yep. 
Because um, I have never been to such a yep. thing. Spoiler alert, we don't get that. We don't get to see what all the other puzzles were if somebody was actually good enough to go through them. I thought that would have been really fun. Um, it would have been really interesting, like, hearing stories of, like, best and worst customers and things like that. You could have had a whole, like, like... I feel like they could have spent more time on that, and then then we could have found out about the competition through that. Yeah. And maybe more of the co-workers are involved in the competition, too. So then there could be, like... And then we get to the competition sooner, and then maybe they fall in love over the course course of I almost said corpse, which is kind of appropriate <laughs> over the course of the competition. Kind of, I guess that would have been too much like Hunger Games. It would have been different because the stakes are a lot. Yeah, lower. plus like Hunger Games, they like they say the whole time that they're they're hamming it up for the camera, so there's that added layer that wouldn't be present there, which yeah, would this, make it, it feel different. Have felt more real. Um, yeah, there's a. I mean, it w- this was like a cool idea that just didn't get executed the way I would have liked. Because it takes a long time to finally get to the competition. There's a lot of stuff building up to it that I feel like could have been condensed better or told better. Because a lot of information is thrown out casually through conversation. Yeah. Which I use that myself in my writing, but you kind of got to show, not tell, or, you know. Yeah. Uh, Nate says, uh, mountain climbing is on my bucket lip list, but rock climbing is not my thing. Way too scary, too high for me. And I said, fact, mountains are taller than rocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this bugged me. So Nate has a whole box of, like, gizmos and gadgets and stuff. And he's like, you probably don't even know what half of that does. And she's like, this plays Mario. These play music. This is a keyboard. You really don't think I know what a keyboard like, is? And he's like, I'm impressed. You're nerdier than you let on. I know that Game Boys are old now, but still, who can't recognize a Game Boy? Like, come on. That's probably going to be one of the few things you would recognize. Women are allowed to be nerds and you don't have to comment on it. Women are nerdy. That's fine. I called the uh, the Pokemon pun, like, because bef- it's before the page turn. She's like, Nate was always obsessed with Pokemon. Pokemon this, Pokemon this. You know what that made me? And I wrote, a Pokemon. And then I turned the page and she's like, a Pokemon. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the not having the camping store scene really just goes into one of the things that I noticed by the time we actually get to the competition, which is it feels like there's this idea of the competition as a means to an end without the competition fully existing. Like they just gloss over almost all of the prep work so much of like this sounds like a huge thing why aren't more people talking about it it's you know and it's just kind of like oh there's this competition great let's enter and it's like and then we're entered and then we got to prepare so then we prepared and then we went to the competition and it's like either you don't care about the details of it you're assuming that i know a lot more about this competition than i actually do because i know very little and nobody else is telling me anything yeah um so i really felt like that was a weird choice there's a lot of stuff about this i don't know if it's like just the zombie stuff but it's like it i feel like it needed it would be stronger if it was more comfortable leaning harder into that sort of thing if you have to keep it a rom-com whatever i you know i would argue definitely have more chemistry at the very least but go ahead and lean into it being a zombie skinned rom-com because it's not literal zombies it's all about the idea of enjoying zombie culture and stuff like that and if you're gonna do that lean into it make it just delightfully zombie goofy nerdy 
people will fall in love with the characters because of that and stuff, because either they're going to relate to it because of the zombies, or they're going to relate because they've been passionate about something like that before. So having it all kind of, like, around them, but never really feeling like they're sinking their teeth into it, <laughs> um, it just came across as, as not being finished. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I think it might... We are reading an arc of this, so maybe by now it's been fixed. Maybe. Because I've heard... I've, I remember once we were reading one of these, and you were like... I was like, well, maybe they'll fix it. And you said, no, this is pretty much what it's going to be. And But I've heard of people who read the arc of things and then read the finished product. And they're like, oh, this is quite different. So um, I hope it kind of fixed. I was always under, under the impression that the only stuff that changes, changed were actual grammatical errors and stuff like that. But if there are rewrites that happen, especially now with, you know, a lot of stuff having like ebook stuff, so you can kind of fix it on the fly yeah. and like throw it out there. Um, that does make more sense. Yeah, maybe. But like all through reading this, and I'm, I'm, I am critiquing a lot of it. <clears throat> there is still an underlying level of pleasant readability to yes. it. That it's yes. like, if this were, if this were touched up in all of the ways that I feel like it needed to be tweaked, it, it could be easily be. Yeah. yeah. Then we bump up the rating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's why um, I told Josh when we were talking about this, not when we weren't recording, but this didn't put me off the author. Mm -hmm. Like I'd be willing to read something else by her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wasn't all like, no, you completely pooped the bed with, with this. I don't want to read anything by you. Not, not the case at all, just because of the readability. And I felt like Nate was a really strong character. Mm -hmm. I thought Kate kind of needed a little bit more. I wasn't completely entirely on board with her but i feel like nate was a very well-rounded like good character i was just like nice yeah nice because usually like the romantic hero in these kinds of books are just more like just a kind of a cardboard figure mm -hmm. or, or they're overly perfect they can always say the right thing right and he he doesn't put his foot in it too bad but he feels more like a real guy that you're talking to yeah so i was i was impressed with his characterization yeah plus you get to like in the sequences where you get to be from his perspective, you, I, I like that you get to hear his voice thinking about the stuff he's saying and doing and being like, is this right? Am I coming off sounding like a moron and stuff like yeah. that? Because, hey, guys think that stuff. <laughs> I know a lot of people, like, write guys as either being, like, you know, mysteriously perfect or, uh, you know, being, like, a, a aloof and not having the... Guys overthink stuff all the time. Like that's still that's a real thing. So it's it was nice to actually show that with him. Yeah, that was definitely cool. Chapter nine. Nate and his friends go to a roller rink for an eighties themed party. Apparently, there's a guest list. Why? And Jackson BSs their way in, pretending to be Peter Haskell the fourth. Their blonde bombshell friend Annie hangs out with them too, and she gets a little weird when the boys hint that he's been spending time with girls. Ooh. Then they leave Nate and Annie alone, so they're pretty decent wingmen. Uh, chapter 10. So, it turns out Raina's actually pretty cool. She's a loyal friend to Kate and was with her for her mom's illness, but backed off when it was clear Kate needed space. Kate's happy to be out, but they end up at the roller rink party. Raina was invited. And skating's hard. See the episode of HFK where we discuss the skate deck and our inabilities to stop. <laughs> I, I have a thing from the book in here that I, I'll point out for that. After they both eat shit, uh, who should come over to help them up but Nate and Annie? Nate and Kate talk for two seconds until the couple's skate is announced and it's moves like Jagger. What happened to the 80s theme? Maroon 5 is never welcome, but doubly so at an 80s roller rink party. Nate doesn't ask Kate. Kate doesn't ask Nate. But Annie asks Nate, and off they go. 
Kate's crushed by this development, and she and Raina leave. Had they even been there half an hour? Did they even take advantage of the half-off hot dog deal? Also... (laughs) Asking the real questions. Also, Kate's went on and on about Annie's beauty, and there's more spark there than between her and Nate. Just saying. Uh, I'll do one more. Uh, Annie asks about Kate, since Nate keeps craning his neck trying to see her. He's disappointed that she's left, and when the couple skate ends, Peter Haskell IV confronts Nate, telling him he needs to decide whether to throw his GPA soon. Application due dates are coming up. Then, when Nate meets up with his friends, he finds out Annie got a ride home with Pete. So the boys get together to watch Wolf of Wall Street, a shitty movie. What a rotten night! I really like Wolf of Wall Street. Fucking hate it. You like World War Z, the film... And I like Wolf of Wall Street. World War Z isn't glorifying the life of a shitbag. Yeah, but that's the... Okay. We could have a whole conversation about that. I will say the quaalude scene's the funniest thing I've seen in my <laughs> life. <laughs> and Marco Robbie's a goddamn treasure. She is? That's all I got. <laughs> I hate that movie. I thought it was... It was well made. I liked Matthew McConaughey in it and his the five seconds of being there, even though he looked visibly ill, because I think he filmed a Dallas Buyers Club around that same time, and he had to look like an AIDS victim yeah. at that time. But, uh, yeah, that's all I can say. It was well made, though. I mean... I don't know. The whole time I was watching it, I was like, he's an awful person, and I get that they're glorifying it, but I, I was reading the glorification of the fact that we glorify this is what's wrong with... That's how I was reading it. And so because of that, I liked it. I'm not trying to get you to like it. I'm just trying to articulate why I... (laughs) That's why I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just like, all right. I just think it's a crummy movie to watch when the girl lets you down at the skate tech. I think you should probably be watching something funner than (laughs) freaking Wall Street. Yeah, they didn't say they watched the whole film. They might have just put the quaalude scene on repeat. (laughs) I'm okay with that. I love the quaalude scene. I would happily watch that right now. Like, that is a good scene. I don't know what he's doing. He's swimming on the floor. Yeah, that was that was um, that was uh. Oh, you were trying to do the quaaludes. Yeah. I liked how the first it plays out with him driving up, like how. Yeah, and then what actually then what happened? Actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> A great like juxtaposition of reality versus expectation. <laughs> That's such a good scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio gets to do physical comedy like that very often, but he was quite good at it. <laughs> he really is a very, very strong actor. He can do a lot. I'm not going to tell him that because his ego's already enormous. He got the Oscar so everyone shut up about it. I mean, he's not going to hear this. He might. Hi, Leo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the book. Um, <laughs> I felt like if... Robbie Anderson Steele was as big an icon of him, like, to Nate, as he supposedly is. I feel like Nate would have made the connection between Kate and Robbie, not as, like, a, I know for a fact that you're his daughter, but if he, like, like, I know somebody with the last name, uh, Cronin, and I was, I was just like, any relation to the guy who wrote The Passage? Like, I didn't actually think that it would be, but, like, I just said that because I had heard the name before. I feel like if he was that big of a fan of this guy, he would have done that. Like, it would have been a great scene for him to ask Kate that and be like, are you related? And then she was like... It's Anderson. Right, and she would have been like, really? Anderson? That's like... <laughs> That's like everyone? Yeah. And then she's like... Whew. 
Wiping away that sweat that's always coming down. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how hopeful you get when you, like, idolize somebody so much, and then you're like, well, maybe, maybe there's a connection here. Yeah. Um, I mean, we know someone who's tangentially related to Sherilyn Kenyon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I even said, probably not a relation. And they went, she is. And I was like, shit, okay. <laughs> she has, like, two gates, and he doesn't realize that she has money. Well, she doesn't let him hang around for very long yeah. to see how she gets in, so. Yeah. I, I just, I just made, I'm not quite sure what the face was, but I did draw a face of, uh, the, her dad emailing all the questions about, mm, like, I hate um, those. why was this call so long? Why'd you call the pizza place two days in a row? Uh, 1444 over your budget, please explain. 72 cents over budget. And I just made this face like, well. Yeah, no. This is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so her mom comes down with pneumonia, a virus she caught from him. And, uh... Sorry. <laughs> That's what I think of Gates. You can take I'm, it. Yeah, but I'm gonna have to at least hear it one more time when I'm editing. <laughs> at least you're not smelling anything. <laughs> so her mom's dying of pneumonia... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, mom dies of pneumonia. That's horrible. Yeah, but she got it from him, and I I know this wasn't written with the, the COVID thing being a thing, but I was just, it, that kind of, like, struck a thing with me of, like, she caught it from him, he didn't really get sick, and then he basically just told her it wasn't a big deal, and you don't need to go to the doctor. I'm like, this is why people are dying! Yeah. They're talking about, oh, because he has the sticker on his, uh sweatshirt that still has the l the yeah. large so it's just l, l, l running down uh-huh jackson scoff you're large aren't you more medium than large you're like lardium and i was like that's, <laughs> that's the element of pork fat <laughs> i like lardium yeah also having the large sticker still on your shirt i look over my clothes so many times before i wear it and it's like okay also actually it's kind of gross because he didn't wash that shirt first before wearing it and he's having a problem with the stickers <laughs> I don't think I've ever had it on a shirt or something. I think it might have happened with my jeans before I left the house once. Yeah. I think we've already talked about the skate deck around here, but I just yeah. want to give another shout out to how great the Simpsons arcade game is that's over at the skate deck, <laughs> or it was. Oh, yes. Uh, two girls rolled up toward us screaming, out of the way, we can't stop, sorry. Rain and I parted the light curtains just in time to watch them slam boobs first into the rental counter between us. That's how I stop every time I'm yeah, over. Yeah, me too. Yep. I, don't, I don't know how to use the brakes. No, I can't stop. <laughs> okay, so the Maroon 5 thing is, like, I guess, like, a thing through the whole book. Yeah. I was kind of, at first I was just kind of like, what is what is this author's problem with Maroon 5? Because it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't immediately like a character thing. It was just like her mentioning Maroon 5 a bunch, usually in the negative context. I don't really like Maroon 5. Me neither. Um, but I was just <laughs> like, man, she's got it out for Maroon 5. But then it, it says, a few daring singlings uh, stayed in the center area, twirling and sweeping their arms to some crappy Maroon 5 song. And this is like the second or third time Maroon 5 has been. And I wrote, I like to think Maroon 5 is her generic pop term. Uh, the way moms use Nintendo to refer to all video games. So, like, every time she hears a bad pop song, she's like, can you turn off the Maroon 5? Yeah. I think that's a really, I think that's a really great dismissive term. We should use it for everything. Like, please, can you put turn Maroon 5 down? I can't handle this right now. And they're like, this is, shit, what sounds like, this is Train. <laughs> no, like, we feasibly could have 
spent this whole party just playing Rune 5 hits, because they have millions of them. Yeah. Millions. Yeah. Like, it's unreal. Yeah. I was just like, and you couldn't have one good one? No, that's not true. Their first album, there's a few songs. Their first actually... album actually is not a bad album, it's like, pretty overall. Solid. It's just, they have, like, two songs after that that I can stand. It's like, Sunday Morning is a good one. And uh, Harder to Breathe is really That's good. That's a really good song. I think the best um, songs are the ones that are, seem to be written to the um, studio for uh, not liking their music. Because Harder to Breathe was uh, about that. And Sarah Bareilles' love song. I'm not going to write you a love song. Is oh, yeah, yeah. Drink. So if you write like angry... Like Safety Dance is an angry song. But it wasn't at the record company. It was at like... The, the, the guy and his friends had gone out to a club and they wanted to dance at the club... Which it was called slam dancing at the time, but I think it's basically moshing now. Yeah. The but the bouncer there was like, "You can't dance, I'm like stop it," you know. And then they got, I think they got thrown out, so they went home and angrily wrote, "We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind." Um, so I think the salty songs are the best. Well, so before the recording, I was talking about how um, I just watched a video of Lincoln Park now watching a concert that they did in like 2001 and they were talking about some of the songs from that first album and one step closer they wrote because their producer kept telling them to go back and rewrite the song and so they got angry and angry and that's where the shut up when i'm talking to you part <laughs> like they were like we we're just so fed up we're just gonna just that's it that's the song i cannot take this anymore <laughs> saying everything we said before <laughs> But we were talking about Maroon 5. Did you have any more thoughts about that? They didn't really lack luster at the uh, <laughs> uh, halftime bowl, uh, the halftime show a couple years ago. Their song, Maps, just sounds like every single anxiety attack I've ever had. Because it's just a loop of an annoying sound over and over <laughs> that I just, I, that my brain will just do it like, I was there for you for the longest time. And it just keeps yeah. going. But I wonder where we are. And it just goes off into like another like equally as annoying thing. Like my brain just cycles and does that all the time. And it plus also played at work all the time where I was frequently anxious. Yeah. So that song is just a friggin' anxiety attack yeah. and I hate it. <sighs> um, Room five. Yeah, but skipping past that, the fact that he mentions the Wolf of Wall Street allows him to say this uh, interesting thing, which is why couldn't I have my turn with a conspicuous consumption? My whole life I'd been poor, my parents were poor, and so were both sets of grandparents before them. It was like I inherited a poverty gene. America! F yeah! <laughs> chapter 12, right? You were at chapter okay, 12. Okay, there we go. Uh, Kate comes back home to find her dad knocking back Japanese whiskey, and he tells her that he expects her to pick a summer internship at his company, so forget theater camp. It's really gross and unpleasant, especially when he makes stank face overseeing her performance at the lead in My Fair Lady that's coming up. Now, I can get if he's not super supportive of her acting, if she's always ends up always ends up as sister number three or background actor, but she's playing the lead. There's more than enough potential there for her to be successful. So the next night, she of course nails the role and everyone compliments her, but she cries because of her dad's rejection. On the plus side, a teacher offers to write her a letter of recommendation for college, and Raina meets her outside with a bouquet and offers nachos and ice cream sundaes. Kate has a way better friend than Nate does. Chapter 13. At school, everyone thinks Nate and Annie are together, but they're not. Probably not heading that way because even though Annie's asked Nate to study for midterms together, I think she's got a thing with Peter Haskell IV. Also, Nate's distracted with texting Kate, who he hasn't heard from for days. 
In a text exchange that made me laugh for the first time in this book, they agree to meet at Dick's to discuss zombie strategy. <laughs> Maybe I need to read that part. That is a good part. Okay. Team TBD competition is in two weeks. Let's discuss. Dick's? I meant Dick's hamburgers, not discuss Dick's. I'll stop typing Dick's now. <laughs> and then she writes, I love Dick's! <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'll stop typing dicks now. <laughs> anyway, I'll discuss zombie strategy. Nate's got big problems, though. Number one, Pete's still handing him about the grade thing, and Nate's bought himself two weeks to make a decision. Number two, Lucy broke a $500 Hermione Granger frig- figurine. Number three, his dad doesn't respect his son's fear of heights and made him bring some water up on the roof. On the way down, Lucy distracted Nate, and he fell and scraped himself up. Number four, after reading a letter Nate's dad threw in the trash, he's discovered that dad's lost his job and the bank's refusing to lower their monthly mortgage payments or waiving fees related to a missing one. So, Nate's really got to win this money comp- this zombie competition. And then I drew a bunch of dollar signs. Chapter 14. At the Dick's meeting, not much gets accomplished since the explanation of the game is really super vague. They manage to work themselves, work themselves up over bears, though, and not the fun gay ones. Instead, they focus on getting to know one another better and tell each other superficial things about themselves. This romance is so tepid. (laughs) I want to pop it into the microwave for an extra minute. The characters themselves are good and deserve better than this. Anyway, at home, Kate wakes from a recurring nightmare of becoming a robot. Yikes. And when she goes to comfort herself with snacks, Jeeves has a message from her dad to call immediately. Of course, when she does, he's a huge asshole and yells at her for interrupting him at work. When she's like, uh, it was your idea. He goes into pushy Shark Tank contestant mode, telling her that her grades suck and she can't get into the school he wants. So his grand plan is for her to take a gap year early, join him in Asia to work in research and development, which would look amazing on applications, so she'd get into schools for sure. Her teachers have told him this idea sucks for her socially, but BFD, it's not like you spend time with friends, right? Kate's appalled and reminds him that she's cut off from her friends due to she's being traumatized by her mother's death. He's already lost mom and he keeps pushing Kate away. Does he really want to lose her too? Dad's all bitches say what and hangs up, so Kate storms out of the house and into the night. Hmm, wonder where she'll go. She does say that uh, rekindling old friendships and making new ones is a lot of effort. And I was like, just wait until after college. (laughs) Growing up friends is hard. Okay, so uh, this is uh, my personal pro tip to writers, which is if you're gonna write jokes in your book and you're gonna be funny in your book, don't have other characters say how funny you are in your book. So like if... One character makes a joke, the other character shouldn't be like, that was a good joke. Because it says, like, uh, I don't even remember the context, but and Nate says, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a, on a strict reptile and amphibian-free diet. And then uh, Jackson says, good one, bro. And so, like, just don't don't bring attention to the jokes. Because you gotta be really confident that is, like, a grade-A joke that you're, like, forcing people to, like, pay extra attention to. That wasn't, that wasn't grade-A. Let's see. Oh, so Pete Haskell has like a thing about very complicated handshakes. Yeah. Um, and I I loved the idea. You okay. Yeah. Okay. My my butt just suddenly hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's a... I'm trying to tell them. I'm trying to tell them what happened. Because <laughs> you suddenly. You suddenly saw me jerk for no reason <laughs> with a terrible 
terrified look on my face. Do we need to take a restroom break <laughs> so you can, like, check it out? It was more like a muscle thing in my... It was in the gluteus, not the anus. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm sorry. I don't know what I had to eat. It shouldn't have been anything to make me gassy. Sorry, everybody. So... <laughs> Of something. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so Peter Haskell has like complicated handshakes. Yeah, very complicated handshakes. It seems like he has a different one every time, and I really like the idea of like having a character who every time he like goes up to somebody, he gives them a different handshake, and it's never the same handshake twice, and they never acknowledge it. It just like it just like gets progressively more complicated, and everybody's just like, eh, that's just what he does. I like how P- Peter comes up and is like, "Time's running out." Have you made a decision yet? He's like, I need more time. He's like, how much time? Time's running out. Two weeks? That's fine. Two weeks is a lot of time. Two weeks is a lot of time. I would have thought he'd be like, no, bro. Like, tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. I'll find you in the parking lot. Apparently, two years ago, Nate's class went to uh, the Space Needle. He was the only one who stayed on the bus. I also would have been the one who stayed on the bus. No, thank you. I can appreciate it from far away. I don't need to be up I've there. I've never been up in the Space nope. Needle. Uh-uh. I'm good. I don't really have that big of a problem with heights, but I think the restaurant at the top is overpriced, so there's no need for to go up there. Right. Um, so you're not really missing anything. You've been to restaurants. You're right. good. <laughs> uh, Lucy refers to Chuck E. Cheese's as Chunky Cheese, which yep. is correct. <laughs> um, there, along those lines, there was a restaurant chain... I think it was a smaller chain, and they don't have them anymore, last I heard. It was called Herfies. I've heard they were of like, it. They were like a burger place. I called it Churfies, and so did everybody in my kindergarten. So, that's a thing. That's cute. <laughs> Churfies. I, I wrote at one point here, this doesn't seem like a very happy family, referring to Nate's home life. And then at one point later on, one of the parents says, like, we're a very happy family. And I'm like, I don't believe you. <laughs> Well, yeah, that whole making him go up on the roof with the water. I'm like, you can come down for a bit, have a rest, and drink water. Yeah. You don't need to make this kid come up here. You, you can't bully people out of their phobias. Yeah. <laughs> There's that. And, I mean, money doesn't buy happiness, but money buys relief from the stress that makes you unhappy. Happy. Yes. Yes. And that's what I think people don't understand, is, like, there is a certain threshold of funds that are necessary to make sure that you're able to enjoy the things that do make you happy yes because not knowing if you're going to be able to make next month's mortgage or something like that is miserable and yeah. i don't you're, have to think about it's that it's meeting your basic needs yeah so exactly you can focus on other things exactly oh kate's thinking about the whole new york thing um and at one point she says i liked him but nate wasn't reason enough to alter my plans and i was reading this section at about one in the morning and i read it as uh Nate wasn't enough reason to enter my pants. <laughs> Fair. You do barely know him. Yeah. Yeah, and I did like, I, I liked that she was, even though her dad wasn't hearing it, she at least said the things that should be said. Yeah. We already lost mom. Do you really want to lose me too? Because you will. Because it's like, he can't say that she didn't warn him. Yeah. She, she's, she said pretty much everything she needed to say at the time mm-hmm. about all this stuff. And I really appreciated that 
that the author allowed her so to do that. So then it doesn't, it doesn't feel as extreme that she leaves. Right. It's like. Because it's like, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm it's like. hitting a brick wall every time. Yeah. And it's like, how, how long am I going to do this before I just go around the wall? So she does. Mm-hmm. So I liked that. <clears throat> All right. Chapter 15. Yeah, Kate wakes Nate up at 3 a.m. pitching rocks at his window, since his phone's set to do not disturb. But he picks up, and Kate asks if she can come up. When he sees how upset she is, he gives her a big hug, then they go up to his room, and she tells him about her dad's grand plans for her education. Dude should just hire the same guy Lori Laughlin did to fake activities, but whatevs. Nate gives her more hugs, then he lets her sleep in his bed, and he sleeps on the floor in a sleeping bag. What a gentleman. Alright, chapter 16. Pete Haskell IV shows up at Nate's job, having bought up all the escape room time slots, intent on harassing Nate into throwing his grade. Dude, all this time and effort and money he's spending on this could have gone to tutors to pull his grades up. Or as I mentioned earlier, get Aunt Becky's guy to invent something fancy for you. A co-worker comes into the room to find out what's going on and offers to call the owner or the police when he sees obvious intimidation happening. Pete and his goons leave after delivering threats and throwing money at him. I don't I don't understand rich people at all. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'll I'll put more money in your business. I'll give you cash. You're intimidated, aren't you? You should give me a few thousand more. That'll show me. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, later Annie calls Nate and they talk about how Nate's skipping his cross country meet to take part in the zombie survival competition. Seems like a bad idea since Annie's pretty free and loose with Nate's business, having told Pete where Nate worked in the first place. Which he doesn't ask her about. Uh, Nate sneaks out to meet Kate for the competition and is busted by Lucy in the hall. She gives him a bag of fake money mixed with loose change so he can buy ice cream cake. And then she goes crying to bed. Oh, Lucy, I'd have avoided you when I was a child. I didn't like crybabies. They bothered me. Like, it's the kid who's just, like, busted. You're like, my cheese broke! And then, like, starts crying and you're like... So just eat the cheese. It's in two pieces now. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if they're, like, if I specifically recall anybody that would have been in my age group that was like that when we were really young. I think I just don't have vivid enough memory, but I do have, I do remember at least one specific friend's younger sibling was that way. And it was like, it's fun to know that I go over there and then within the first 15 minutes, I'm going to hear somebody crying about something that they don't need to cry about. Yeah. Um, I once spent a whole recess after lunch crying because my mom did not pack a snack in my lunch and people were concerned like why are you crying and i told them why and i didn't understand why they didn't have the same level of hurt that i had <laughs> they're just like you had a lunch some people don't get lunch why are you crying about this <laughs> and i went home and i confronted my mother my mom's like you had an apple but i was looking like almost like where's my debbie cake where's my cookie where's my you know where's my snack that you get with the lunch and there was nothing there was sandwich the thermos of milk and the apple that I mismentioned. And that's basically what my lunch looks like as an adult, and I'm fine. <laughs> okay. What chapter did you just get through? 17? Nope, 16. Okay, cool. Uh, 16. Uh, the, 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 I did like the gift from Lucy. Yeah, I did too. Is ice cream cake money. Yeah. Good job. Good, good job. Then we'll go to Chunky Cheese. Yes. Chapter 17. Nate shows up late to the campgrounds, and Kate gives him some shit for it. I have anxiety about that kind of thing myself, so I totally get it. She still gives him a birthday gift, which he doesn't open at any point in this chapter. Ugh! How are people handed gifts and don't want to immediately open them? Can't relate. 
So all the contestants are loaded onto buses and driven to the middle of nowhere, and they're all checked in, uh, received team t-shirts and Fitbits that are GPS walkie-talkies. If you remove them, you're automatically disqualified. Then they're all split up into starting points. They'd noticed a two-person team on the bus who'd won a television obstacle course competition. Wonder if they'll be running into those folks in the woods. <clears throat> Chapter 18. The competition starts kind of anticlimactically, and everyone's pretty confused. Uh, people run into a hedge maze, and smoke comes out of it, and they're screaming. So, nope, we aren't going that way. Uh, Nate and Kate head in another direction, where Kate nearly activates a tripwire. Spooked, they hunker down and let loud contestants tromp past them so they can activate any more traps. One of those people is Annie, grousing to someone that Nate's probably somewhere else. Switching notebooks. <laughs> oh my god, what is she doing here? Clearly she isn't here working with Pete to sabotage Nate's possible prize money that saves him from Pete's sketchy plan. Of course not! Uh, chapter 19. Kate and Nate go on their merry way when they're suddenly ambushed by a scarily realistic and stinky zombie. The thing takes Nate down, but it's okay because he has a stun gun. We're all horrified that he's tased an actor just doing his damn job, but wait, it's only a robot. How did AI get this good when robots struggle to even get up a flight of stairs? Shaken by the experience, our protagonists go find somewhere to pitch a tent. Giggity. <laughs> okay. I'm bummed that we didn't get to hear Kate's uh, playlist. I thought that would have been a good... Learning what characters like to listen to and stuff is a really good way to kind of like get to well, feel a bit... not Maroon 5. Right. Yeah, I, I, I know it's not on the playlist. <laughs> I can guess probably not train. They're kind of in the same category of um, music. Okay, so our advanced reader copies of the book are 297 pages long. The competition starts on page 183, so we have just over 100 pages left until the end of the book when this thing first starts. It's like, it's advertises kind of like the big thing about the book. And yeah. so it's like, it comes in too late. It's not, it's like acknowledged and then dropped for big periods of time prior to this and then when it starts i think that the how the competition starts is a really great kind of internal metaphor because it's just kind of like oh it's happening now Whoa. and all the characters are just like where are we what is this are yeah. we sure and that's kind of how i, I felt. felt i was like well i guess this is that competition that we were hyping up supposedly all right that felt real to okay. me though there's so many times in real life we're like what do we like, yeah. like, basically going to any concert venue and then trying to figure out what you're supposed to do. Right. You're just like, okay, where's the entrance? Where does the, where's the will call? Where's the, what do, what do we do? I agree with you with the caveat that this being a competition by two huge tech companies with a $50,000 prize should have been more organized than this, I feel. I mean, it's a little bit like Fire Festival. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not, but... Well, the zombies actually worked. <laughs> so that was i thought that that was odd um they also make a reference to the robert frost poem about two paths diverging and it's a apparently a nerdy poetry joke and it's a cryptic poem and it's neither of those things that's one of the poems that everybody everyone knows of, that poem. and everybody knows what it's about like i don't know poetry and i know what that poem is about <laughs> zombies <laughs> yeah so all of a sudden we're just in the competition and there are robot zombies that, you know, we had the robots earlier that 
can kind of bring you a napkin wrapper. And I was like, okay, that's kind of the level of robot I would probably expect. And then they're like, surprise, we have an entire horde of robot zombies that look and act just like actual zombies. And I was like, excuse me, no, you don't. Yeah, that was my reaction too. Chapter 20. The kids start to settle down for the night with a campfire built by Kate. And they get to talk about uh, what they'll do with their winnings. Nate says he's going to save his parents' house. And if there's anything left over, put some aside for his startup. Kate's dismayed that money's so tight for his family. But she tells him that she's going to New York since her dad's callous bootstraps mentality caused her mother to die of pneumonia. Nate's horrified by this revelation and hugs her. Huggy confession time is interrupted by a stampede of bunnies. It's a funny and cute tension breaker before they realize that the bun buns are running from something. Right on cue comes four robo zombies. They grab their shit and split, leaving an unattended fire in the forest, goddammit. They run away while holding hands until they finally reach a clearing. All desire for sleep gone, they make torches and feel like badass Jedis. Chapter 21. The sun is rising and the kids are trekking along when they're jumped by the American gladiators or whatever we saw on the bus. Luckily, despite a sleepless night, they're able to fight off their attackers, Kate with her torch and Nate with his martial arts. He'd lost the torch. The villain Scarper, leaving behind a wanted poster with Nate's picture on it, offering a 5k reward for the capture of Nate's bracelet, an extra thousand for his partner's bracelet as well. Nate's devastated because the handwriting on it is Annie's. It's like I'm psychic. Sidebar, who makes a handwritten poster in 2020? I was in college in 2005 and was sneered at by a classmate for working on a poster for a class project. I went home and I made a PowerPoint presentation said like a normal person. Get Microsoft Office Suite, Annie, you big weirdo. (laughs) Chapter 22. Along the path, Kate and Nate discover an abandoned campsite where it looks like quite the skirmish went down. There's crushed and discarded snacks everywhere, and they salvage some good stuff, including Capri Suns, firecrackers, and a lighter. They find the gladiator idiots who are now out of the competition, and uh, they're waiting for the game officials to come pick them up. They whine about being so thirsty and hungry, and Nate's a better person than me and gives them some stuff. When Nate hands over a lighter for a cigarette, gladiator chick Natalie points out that the dude handing out Nate's wanted poster had something like that. She also mentions the pretty blonde girl, which gets Kate all huffy, and she gives Nate the silent treatment for pages because reasons. So they pretty quietly move along, and Kate only unshuns him when he has to take a piss. They split up for privacy, and of course, when Nate has his dick in his hands, Pete Haskell the Fourth steps out for his big villain reveal. And Annie's there, too. Totes ox. Uh, Nate's able to tuck it away, and he still has... <laughs> And he still hasn't worked out what's going on. So Pete gets monologuing, our very favorite trope on this podcast. Pete is here to make sure Nate doesn't win this contest and win any money. He wants to be Nate's only option, so Nate is forced to throw his GPA. Pete recruited Annie to help, offering her the same amount Nate's getting. He's been stacking the deck against Nate for a while, even going so far as to get his dad to fire Nate's dad. Are those Fitbits recording this because hello wrongful termination suit? It's all really lame, all this time, money and effort, and Pete could have bribed a teacher to raise his grade, or hired a private investigator to dig up dirt on the headmaster and blackmail him to sneak Pete onto the honor roll, or even hire some egghead computer kid to Ferris Bueller his way into the school records and get his grades up bump. I'm ready to bash my head into the wall, so luckily there's a fight, and Pete draws blood while looking mildly disheveled until Kate steps out and rams her stun gun into his ass. Annie quickly starts apologizing and takes off her Fitbit, saying how much she really likes Nate and that their Maroon 5 couple skate had really meant something. 
At first, we think Nate's going to be really nice about all this, but instead he has an amazing bitches-say-what moment by informing Annie, I fucking hate Maroon 5. As you should, good sir. (laughs) Kate and Nate run away, playing grab-ass, until they hear zombies approaching and really start running. Of course, Kate falls and twists her ankle. Ugh! They take refuge in a cave, and Nate wraps firecrackers around a rock and shot puts it away to draw off the zombies. They hunker down and start making out because near misses with dude bros and zombies makes one horny. They settle down when the last of the zombies pass. Kate suggests exploring the cave. Why? So you can stir up a bear or bats too? Or fall into a hole? And she disappears from Nate's view, not answering when he calls out to check on her. Then she starts screaming for help. Who boy. At the end of the chapter that has the little American gladiator warrior thing fight, I just wrote, what was this chapter? Because... Why was there just, there's like a bow staff fight just in the middle of the, like, okay, I guess this is in this book. Um, yeah, I'm better with nunchucks. <laughs> I know, I, re- I read bow staff and I immediately bought Napoleon yep. Dynamite. In, it, seriously, the amount of effort that Peter goes through right. for this nonsensical plan. Just crack a book, dude! <laughs> oh my it's, god. Okay, this reminds me of... If you buy, like, one or two, like, diet books, that's good. That means that you're thinking about your health. When you buy 70 diet books, you are spending so much effort to try and not put effort into making yourself healthier that if you had just started by just doing the basics and exercising, you would already be in shape. And it's kind of that same thing. He's putting so much effort into not having to put effort into his schoolwork. He's like, well, paleo didn't work. How about keto? (laughs) (laughs) I opened it up and they said I couldn't have chocolate cake for breakfast, so I want a different diet. Yes, I want the chocolate cake <laughs> breakfast diet. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, and, uh, yeah. Can we let... Just... <laughs> it's like you became me all of a sudden. Just please go ahead and do the next chapter because what... Because what? Okay, chapter 23. Nate's barely able to move to help Kate when he's jumped and gassed, a hood tossed over his head. He wakes up in a satellite office of one Robbie Steele Anderson. Surprise! He's Kate's dad. We're treated to another villain monologue. Ah! <laughs> Turns out his company, Digitools, and the company sponsoring the contest, Zeneration, is due to merge the next day. Kate's a relative, so she's not allowed to win the contest. But the head honchos want Nate to win because their team is the only American team still in the running. It would look weird if a non-U.S. citizen won since the whole point of the competition was to test out the Fitbits for the military. They've changed the rules so teams can split up and individuals can win. So Nate needs to ditch Kate and win. There's a bonus 20k for agreeing. At first I thought he'd tell old Robbie to blow it out his ass, but Nate has a plan. He asks for the 20k in cryptocurrency, and Robbie's like, um, okay, nerd, back to the cave with you, and then, and you can't tell Kate anything about this, since you signed a non-disclosure agreement, haha. Nate gets the last word as he's hooded and about to get gassed. He tells Robbie that he should have been at the hospital with Kate when her mother died, and that he owes her an apology. This doesn't go over well with Father of the Year. Sometimes the truth hurts. This was the weirdest chapter in, like, so many books. That I've read. (laughs) I was just like, I'm sorry, what? We're going to kidnap you and take you out of the wilderness into a satellite office so you can get villain monologued at for an absolutely insane plan to then be dropped back into the wilderness. It's like, 
Did you read The Maze Runner? No, I did didn't. Did you watch The Maze Runner? I, d- I did neither of these things. Okay, so like, Maze Runner, they're in a maze, and then it turns out that the maze is like an experiment. Okay? Yeah. So, it's <laughs> like if halfway through The Maze Runner, they just get taken out, and then like, put outside of it, and then like, the scientists are talking to them, and then they're like, well, back into the maze, and it's like, What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so I I was so baffled by this chapter. Maybe this would work better as a cartoon. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to make this make sense because this does not make any sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. <laughs> And then they just, let's put him back where we found him. And go. And you're like, what? You didn't freeze time. It is. It How is, are they going to account for all the time they missed? It's like, it's like she was writing it and she's like, how am I going to reveal the plan? Well, crap. Guess I'm taking him out of the competition for a chapter. Yeah. It was really awkward. <laughs> it felt, yeah, it was weird. So, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> chapter 24. Kate wakes up in the cave and doesn't remember much after the firecrackers. Nate asks how she is, and she picks up on him sounding nice, but not exactly friendly anymore. Suddenly, their Fitbits light up and announce the rule change of items of items of teams being allowed to split up. Um, if you win as an individual, you get ten thousand extra money. So everyone's like, "Money!" Uh, it's clear that Kate's ankle is a hindrance, and Kate angrily agrees uh, to let Nate go. He tries to talk more, but she sends him away and watches him dash off, crying as yet another man in her life screws her over. Uh, chapter 25. Nate's uh, sick and upset after lying to and betraying Kate. He continues without her and happens upon a group of Germans who are packing up their things, asking one another, handily in English, how they'll spend their share of the prize money. Two of them say, Coke and hose! And really, is there anything else more noble than that? Then the coke and ho- the coke hole ones uh, slap the Fitbits off the other two, who immediately retaliate by pummeling one, while another frantically runs off towards Kate's cave without his map. Boy, this sudden rule change is encouraging ugly and mercenary behavior. When the results get out, it's going to reflect poorly on both companies. Twitter in particular will have a field day. <laughs> Nate continues on and later settles down for a rest. Who should happen to find him but Kate? She traded the German uh, her map for painkillers. She could easily take Nate's ass out now, but she settles for looking at him like he's dog shit and telling him that she never wants to see him again. Ouch. Chapter 26. Kate's dosed up pretty well, and she'd taken a picture of her nap, her nap, her map, before handing it over to the coke and hose German, so she's doing great. On a steep cliff path, she encounters Nate curled up on the ground, practically shitting himself. He's blocking the way, but assures her that he's about to drop out of the competition and be rescued. Once the officials collect him, she'll be free to go. Kate surprises me, though, and starts talking him down, slowing his heart rate with techniques she'd learned from her therapist. Eventually, she gets Nate moving. As they walk, they discuss their plans post-zombie apocalypse. He starts to tell her something that seems important, and they're interrupted by a zombie. So, like, none of this competition can be legal, right? There's no way that... There's no way that... (laughs) It it feels pretty sketchy. Yeah, this is real off the books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we're dealing with the tap brass. <laughs> because as I'm reading all of these dangers that these high school kids are dealing with, I'm like, even with signing some sort of waiver, there's no way that they could get away with setting up this. This would be a fun Miss Rafferty now. <laughs> I understand you were in an illegal Maze Runner competition. It's like, I became the leader of a revolution, and 
we were trying to gather everyone together and we're like, if we burn, you burn with us. And then it's just yeah, it was, it was really, it was all about, you know, just unity and teamwork. Power and, to the people. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, real different for me. I lost my slacks three seconds into the competition. <laughs> she always does. <laughs> Watch my pants go sailing away as the as the walls change there. <laughs> my coot coot and prune shoot are on display for everybody in the Capitol to watch. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, this this feels a very sketchy competition. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. I've got to figure out where I'm at. Chapter 27. The zombie approacheth, and they panic, having ditched their backpacks with the stun guns inside. Nate gets the idea to kill it with fire. Lighting Kate's team shirt and using her hand sanitizer as accelerant, they burn the zombie and are free to go. Except now there's a pretty sizable gap in the path that they're going to have to leap to get across. Their Fitbits flash a message that only three people remain in the competition. Right on cue comes a German along the path, uh, and he uh, hates heights, but likes his chances against two teenagers, and he snags a snag, uh, jeez, dude, and snags a stun gun from one of their abandoned backpacks to come at them. Nate's anger at this shithead overcomes his fear of heights, and he and Kate leap. She lands perfectly, but he comes down in a mess, (laughs) grateful for her help. A timely reminder from Kate's dad says he can't finish with her, or they'll both be disqualified. Mother... Chapter 28. Mere yards from the finish line, the German violently attacks Kate, ripping off the necklace her mom gave her, and also the Fitbit. Nate tackles him off, and Kate pries her necklace loose from the German's grasp, then kicks him in the balls. Freed, Nate tries to talk to Kate again, but the promise of big-time money makes the German recover quickly, and Kate screams at Nate to finally uh, to go until he finally takes off running. Boy, reviewing action chapters is really hard. Um, Because it's all like... He per- did this. Person A did, did this that. to B. Yeah. I know. I tried to, con- tried to condense it a little bit more. Okay. Chapter 29. There's people at the finish line, but they turn out to be zombies. Nate panics and Kate shouts at him to use the stun gun. He does so, then gets running again, only to be tackled by the German, falling unconscious. When he wakes up, he's being tended to by medics, and Robbie Anderson Steele tells him that when he fell, his outstretched arm went a millimeter over the finish line. His parents are there with Lucy, who has spilled the beans. They're pissed he lied to them, and they uh, don't want the prize money. Dad has a new job at a tech startup, and Mom likes her car, thanks. When Nate says he only wanted them to be proud of him, his dad says he's a good son, and then reveals that he himself was disowned by his rich family for marrying Nate's mom. So while they don't have much, it's at least theirs, and they're proud of it. After speaking to the press, Nate looks all over for Kate, but can't find her. She doesn't respond to calls or texts either. At the car, he finally opens his present from her. It's a gag gift t-shirt that says, This guy loves Maroon 5. Nate goes to his friend Zach's house to transfer his 20k cryptocurrency to Kate's online wallet. Okay, so, Nate is sprinting towards the finish line, and, and he says, uh, it's like, I'm not a marathon runner, and those people who do them are stupid as crap. And then he says, uh about his own running. There was no groove, no effortless light body feeling, no high as a kite euphoria where the F were my endorphins. I was like, I want 15 endorphins! <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a cross-country runner, which is similar to marathons because it's long-sustained running. So what he's trying to do is a sprint, which is not what he does. Right. So I'm a big old fat couch potato and I at least knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's using the stun gun uh, when like the, the zombies and then these, there's the germinator. 
<laughs> I like that. I wish I'd call him that. <laughs> I just kept calling him the Coke and Hose German. But he's using the stun gun. He's like, bam, bam, bam. Aren't stun guns, aren't they like a, like, you can't do it like that. You either have to make contact with a person or it shoots out the wires that like, I don't think you can just be like shooting electric bolts at people. And if there is a gun like that, you definitely can't get it as a 17 year old. No. <laughs> I didn't give it much thought. I was just picturing a taser. Yeah. And then he's thinking about Kate. Funny Kate whips, smart Kate, lovable Kate, Kate in her identical plaid shirts, Kate who saved me on the cliff, and I just I wish I knew these characters better, because I really don't feel like I know them that well. Like, Nate, I definitely feel like he's yeah. more well-rounded. Yeah, we know Kate him. is kind of like, she's, she definitely has some elements of her that are strong, uh, and, um, not like uh, strong female character, but like in the sense that like they are solid elements of who she is as a person, but a lot of the other just little sprinkly bits of her personality, I don't really... I don't know. I don't feel like I have as clear an idea of her as a character compared to Nate. I feel like they stand up better as characters, like, apart on their own rather yeah. than when they're thrown together. Yeah. Then you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. And then they have one of those scenes where Zach is uh, talking about the cryptocurrency stuff and he starts getting all nerdy and um, yeah. and then it, it does the whole, like, English please sort of scene that it's like, come on, just once, let them just be like... And then they explained it to me, and I was like, "All right, cool, do that." Like, <laughs> even if the even if Nate doesn't want to hear it, I'm just so sick of that scene, because I think I've already said this on the podcast, which means we've seen it at least once in this stack of books. <laughs> so there was a thread on Tumblr where people talked about um, th- that scene, that scene, like yeah. English, please, like those kinds of scenes that happen in works and the ones they really, really like, and okay. they laugh at every time. Yeah. Like, uh, someone was saying, like, in the movie, like, you know, they're getting away from the bad guys or whatever, they go, we've got company! And then it says, I chortle like an old-time baron. Oh, it's not really company! <laughs> <You know? laughs> I like, I like, like, a, like a beat where they're supposed to do something and they're not doing it, and everyone just kind of looks at them and they go, oh, and then they do it? That's hilarious to me every time I see it. Okay, like, yeah. Yeah! <laughs> Like, one of my favorites is in Home Alone, where he's all like, Joe Pesci tells Daniel Stern to go in and, like, check on the kid. When I, I think they're scoping out the place, yeah. and they'd been there the night before, and there was, like, a party. They're all like, what? He's like, go check it out. And then, like, Daniel Stern keeps sitting there. <laughs> like, Joe Pesci looks at him and goes, like, just, just stares at him. And Daniel Stern goes, now? <laughs> he goes, no, tomorrow. Yeah! Yeah, now. Go in. Um, so yeah, that's my absolute favorite is the, I, the beat where they don't do what they're supposed to do. I don't remember what I was watching or reading, but there was some scene where they, you know, the police go in and they find a body and so somebody goes down and checks the pulse and he's like, he's gone. And I would love to have one where they see the body is completely mutilated. He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna, he's dead. I'm not gonna bother. It's fine. <laughs> you gotta do it by the book, Johnson. <laughs> Glove? Yes, you can get a glove. God. <laughs> okay, um, chapter 30. We're almost done. Yeah, chapter 30. Uh, Kate gets cleaned up and has her bags all packed and ready to go. Jeeves plays an incoming message from her dad, who hits the roof when he sees she's leaving. He orders Jeeves to lock the house and detain her until he gets home. Kate tries to reason with Jeeves to let her go, but despite multiple upgrades that make him more human each time, he's still just a robot. And not just any robot, he was especially designed to keep Kate safe. Well, Kate doesn't know what to make of that, but she asks Jeeves hypothetically how she could get out. Bless his AI heart, he tells her, and she does it. 
waiting for her cab outside. She scrolls through all of Nate's texts and then texts him back, thanking him for the money. When Raina texts next, text is really hard to yeah. I know, I hate it. Telling Kate that her dad's blowing up her phone and asking if she's really leaving, leaving. Kate shuts off the phone forever. Should I just finish it up? Do the next chapter, but let's leave the last one because it's kind of epilogue Okay, chapter 31. Nate goes to Lucy's show and tell, and the kids have a million questions about fighting zombies, and one little girl asks if he has a girlfriend. Awkward. Lucy saves the day by saying he's grounded so he can't have a girlfriend, but his <laughs> bestest friend girl is Kate. Oh, Kate. She's long gone, and Nate just keeps pining like a tree. Well, <laughs> why'd you laugh at that? It's not funny. While being miserable, at least some cool things happened. Annie and the and the skids, uh, yeah, they, the skids were the kids, the the student, um, the student kids who were in on uh, scholarships or the scholarship kids. Every time I read it, I thought, as a kid, was a skid. No one knew me by name. Trashed my own house body because nobody cared. Well, what did you you said, Annie and the skids? Annie and the skids. Annie, Annie, Annie and the skids. Trashed my own house body because. This mashup of Elton John and uh, some 41. Um, okay, Annie and the Skids went right to the headmaster and told him about Peter Haskell IV's GPA scam. And because rich people never have real consequences, he isn't expelled. He's just banned from varsity sports. And even though he's getting off way late, you just know he feels like this is a cruel and unusual punishment. Also, hey, Nate's going to be valedictorian. But none of this lives up to when he eventually gets a postcard from New York that just says, I miss dicks. Kate, come on. His mom and the mailman saw that. <laughs> when she's trying to talk to the robot, I drew a little Baymax face and says, are you satisfied with your care? Well, the robot isn't anywhere close to Baymax because Big Hero 6 is actually like a really good movie, but... Harry baby. Harry baby. Harry baby. <laughs> I jumped through a window. <laughs> I really liked it though. But yeah, so the the house goes on lockdown, and so like everything's all shut up, and then she turns off the power, and then she like sneaks out of the house, and then it says, I pulled open the iron gates, which had defaulted to an unlocked position. That's a terrible default. That is a terrible default, and I think she just was like, oh crap, the, we have out? gates. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they just default to unlock. <laughs> there, fix that problem. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, and I even wrote here, uh, okay, but they can all buy their way into Ivy League school, so who cares? What was the point of this Any whole of plot? This, yeah. All right, so chapter 32, which is basically an epilogue. Yeah, chapter 32. Kate works as a stage manager assistant, assistant to the stage manager, <laughs> in Queens now, alongside her old pal Zoe. The theater's pretty dilapidated, but she's happy. Then, guess who shows up for a surprise visit? It's Nate! He had his friend Zach use facial recognition software on the internet to find her picture on the theater's website. Gross. <laughs> she was hard to find because Kate changed her last name to Hall. Nate's in town with his family touring schools, and he offers to fix up the theater. He can even come back for spring and summer, too. Hey, want to get burgers? So they head to a dive, and we find out that Kate started talking to her dad again, and he admitted to threatening Nate to finish the competition without her, so there's no more bad blood. Also, he's wearing the Maroon 5 shirt, and it's getting old-looking and raggedy because he wears it all the time. And that's basically it. The end. <laughs> so, when I got to the end, and then I went and put in my Goodreads thing, it labels this as Perfect Escape Number 1, which means there's a there's sequel. There's a sequel. Why not just make this one better? Yeah, I was just like, how, how are we gonna... 
Okay. What? <laughs> what is... Are they going to have, like, a... Josh looks like the meme of, like, that woman with, like, the math going on behind her. <laughs> <laughs> of finding, like, what was it? Like, the area of a, a triangle or something? Yeah. yeah. Well, because... Because this is not an outwardly bad offensive book by any means. Mm-mm. It just has so many elements that I'm like, run that again. And you'd probably get something better. And so I just feel like instead of instead of this with a sequel, I would have liked her to just rewrite this because I see so much potential in it. Yeah. I, think, she, I think she's a good writer. It and just... that's what kind of baffles me about it. Like, I'm not angry. I'm just kind no. of like, I'm confused. just confused. Yeah. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> so that's kind of my takeaway is like, I didn't, I didn't hate the book, but no. I'm just like, I see where this would be a really fun book and it's just kind of okay. This feels very first drafty. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I mean, it's an arc, so maybe. <clears throat> to a degree, it still is a, a draft as opposed to the complete, yeah. Yeah. I, I just hope she got more feedback. I mean, she says at the end that a lot of pe- people helped her out with this book beforehand. Yeah. And I was like, couldn't they have helped a little bit more? <laughs> I did see that a lot of the reviews were kind of like middling kind of where we're at, where yeah. it's like, she's not a bad writer. It's just that this really definitely needs another pass through and tightening up of a lot of elements yes. and reworking some things because this... I think even rework some of this, like, because of how we're all like, just stop with, with like the villain, like Pete, yeah. like, what he's going through. And it's just like, just stop it. Yeah. <laughs> stop. Yeah. Because the villain's got to be a little bit better than this. Yeah. I guess yeah. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> just like the book, it just kind of ends there. <laughs> yeah, I felt like, okay, bye. <laughs> I lost the book and then was like, I get to read books I care about now. So, yeah. Super quick read, though. Like, Yeah, well, it took me longer, but I read... I had to read things that I enjoyed at the same time I was yeah. reading Yeah, well, and plus you had to stop and do lengthy summaries. Yeah, how about that? I felt so bad about the last episode, felt really phoned in, and I was just, like, kind of appalled. because It's just basically me singing, and <laughs> I apologize. I didn't realize I did that much, that was a lot. I cut out quite a bit of it. <laughs> and it's still that. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, so that's why I kind of went all in on reviewing this. So, you know, like we said, we're reviewing an advanced reader copy. There's definitely a lot of potential here, and I would say... If you see a copy at the store, when you're allowed to go outside again, right. um, pick it up and start flipping through, and, uh, you know, you may find something here that's, you know, at least pleasant. I'm not going to tell people to actively avoid the book like no. I would want to tell people about some of the other ones. Um, yeah, no, this this doesn't need to be avoided. It's good. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We we both kind of agree at, like, the two and a half star kind of range for the Goodreads Uh Mm-hmm. We each went a different direction for that two and a half, but I mean that just means that we evened it out. Um, yeah. So yeah, next month we are planning on actually for real. We promise this time doing Fable Haven book three. Yeah, it's a uh, grip of the grip. Yeah, grip of the shadow plague. Yep. So we're gonna be doing that for for May, and that should be back to May first. Uh, this one's gonna be this is like the seventh or something. Yeah. I think. Um. So yeah. By the way, I've noticed that our uh, listener numbers, at least through SoundCloud, seem to be up. If you guys aren't robots, we'd love to hear from you. So if you want to contact us, check us out, Podcast at Twitter or Instagram or Gmail, Podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, for listening, we're basically everywhere now. That includes Spotify at this point. But yeah, so 
hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. And we will be back in just a handful of weeks with Fable Haven Grip of the what was it? Grip of the Shadow Plague? Yes. Alright. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. It just kinda ends. It just kinda ends.